the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, begin verse number 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am an appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So much in this passage of Scripture that we won't be able to cover all of it, obviously. Back in the day, there used to be a saying, and I don't hear it much anymore, so it might have just been a local thing. I'm getting signals from the crowd, namely my wife, to fix the mic. Do you approve? We now have a pastor's wife approved mic affixation. All right. There used to be, I'm in trouble now. That's what the, you can read that. There used to be, back in the day, a statement. It may have just been a local thing, I don't know. But they used to say, you need to take, just take your lumps. How many, has anybody else heard that? You need to just take your lumps. Okay, you don't hear it much anymore, but it wasn't just a local thing, because almost all of you know it. It was supposed to be, I suppose, it referring to the lumps on the top of your head after you got your, you know, you, you did something dumb, or you just you got beat on top of the head. You need to just take your lumps. For whatever choice that you had made, there were negative or unpleasant consequences. And it wasn't right for you to avoid them. You need to just take your lumps. The title of this morning's message, Are You Taking Your Lumps? Are You Taking Your Lumps? Let's pray. Father, there is no way to do what needs to be done here on our own. But we have not come here on our own. You have given us a copy of your word and you have given us your spirit to teach it. And in, because of those two facts, we are here gathered as your children at your instruction that we might be instructed. And we call upon your name to do for us what needs to be done, not in, in one life, Father, but in every life here. We are your children, and we need to be fed. And our precious Lord has already purchased everything for us, so in his name we ask these things. Amen. When the band of men came to get the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, the actions of the disciples kind of disturb us. They had walked with the Lord by this time for over three years. They had seen all of the miracles. They had benefited from his presence. They have been, had been allowed to see things that nobody else was allowed to see. But in that garden, they all 
forsook him and fled. They ran because the outcome was clear. Whatever was going to happen in the next few moments was going to be a very unpleasant experience. So they ran. We read that story, and we say of the disciples, they should have stayed there and took their lumps. A little while later, Peter is warming himself by the fire. The little servant girl who's opening and closing the door, kind of keeping the gate there, says, I think I recognize you. And Peter says, nope, not me. Had nothing to do with it and didn't know anything about it. He totally denies the Lord because he doesn't want to be associated because there is ridicule and possible physical danger to be associated with Christ at that moment. And Peter says, don't know anything about it. And we read the story and say of Peter, we think you should have taken your lumps. My friend, it's no secret that the world hates Jesus Christ. John 1, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. John 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse number 20, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Of course, the Apostle Paul is totally aware of these, this fact, and he's aware of it from both sides. He was originally one of the haters. He stood there when Stephen is getting stoned. It is Paul who's standing there. Saul was his name at the time. It is Saul who's standing there giving his approval for Stephen to be stoned. After his salvation, the Apostle Paul becomes a recipient of the haters. 2 Corinthians, if you've ever read it, 2 Corinthians 11 reads like an action adventure. If it weren't the Bible, you would expect, suspect that there's been a little bit of uh, exaggeration going on. As Paul lists in 2 Corinthians 11, what his life has been. Five times he was whipped 39 times. 39 stripes, and that happened to him five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was in a shipwreck. And one time he spent a day and a night in the, the, in, adrift on the sea. He was often in danger of being robbed, being waylaid, and being abused by foreigners and his own countrymen. He's often without food and water, and often without shelter and proper clothing. Paul was no stranger to the, the hatred of Jesus Christ and the cost of that. And with all of this in mind, he writes... Verse number 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What is he saying? Take your lumps. That's what he's saying. Take your lumps. The gospel and your relation with the Lord has had amazing benefits, has it not? Every week I hear a Christian say, I don't know how people make it without the Lord. We hear that every week. On Wednesday night, we spend 10 or 15 minutes just sharing amongst ourselves the blessings of the Lord, knowing that we are only giving just a small smidgen of what the Lord has actually done, and we've rehearsed that amongst each other, the blessings of the Lord. 
we live this supernatural blessed life. But it is disingenuous for us to receive all of those blessings and not take the lumps that go with them. The Lord has His enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They hate our Savior. And they would do Him harm, but the only target that they have is us. After receiving all the blessings of the Lord, shall we, when this wrath against us, against our blessed Savior, is, is aimed toward us, should we forsake Him and run? Should we not take our lumps, as it were? Shall we warm ourselves by the fire and deny ever knowing Him? Paul says in verse number 8, Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Take your lumps. So what are the lumps? What are the lumps? Down through history, there have been quite a few variations. And they run the gamut. From being misunderstood, to being mocked and ridiculed, the loss of property or position, actual physical persecution, imprisonment, beatings, and death. Sometimes it's none of these things, but being sent to a field to labor where there's not much in the way of visible results, like Noah who preaches for 120 years with no real converts, like Isaiah who after he preaches and preaches and preaches says, Lord, who hath believed our report. In America, we have seen very little in the way of persecution. Our laws and our history have allowed us to walk a pretty easy path. But this soft life that we've been allowed to live puts us much in greater danger of avoiding our lumps when they come. We are to be partakers of the affliction of the gospel. We are to take our lumps, whatever they may be. Don't make a mistake here. The Apostle Paul is not saying, man up. Whenever we hear of persecution, especially when you read a, a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you think, boy, that is one tough Christian. When you hear about the guy who stands next to the stake as they're burning him at the stake, they don't even have to tie him to the stake. He just stands there without complaining. And you say, boy, that is one tough Christian. In fact, in my early years, I preached a ridiculous message on being a tough Christian. To tell someone to man up, to take your lumps like a man, is to tell them to motivate their flesh to stand strong. You know, there's only one problem with that. The flesh is one of the persecutors. Your flesh is the enemy of Christ. How exactly is that going to work? Relying on one of the persecutors to help you stand for persecution. This is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is not suggesting in this verse that we man up and take our lumps. Look at what it says. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Of God. We take our lumps just like we take our blessings by the power of God. 
It is God's power that enables us to stand in the evil day. It is His strength that will enable us to take ridicule, mocking, being misunderstood, the loss of reputation, the loss of position, even imprisonment or death. It is His strength that makes that happen. When these lumps come, we shouldn't run from them. We shouldn't try to man up and handle it. But we are to be a partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, you say, that's kind of heavy. You also say, that's a little hard to get my mind to wrap around. How exactly is all this supposed to work? Well, fortunately... Paul gives us some of the mental process that has to take place in order to live what he just told us to do. Look at verse, let's read verse number 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now look down at verse number 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. These verses are almost, they're together. It's like a question and answer, or a problem and solution. Let's look specifically here. Verse number 8. Be not, let's say, verse number 8. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. In verse number 12, Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Paul says, I am doing exactly what I just told you to do. Suffering the, I'm taking, be, suffering the afflictions. I'm a partaker of the afflictions. I'm suffering these things. Verse number 8 says, Be not thou for ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In verse number 12, Paul says, I am not ashamed. Verse number 8, he says, According to the power of God. In verse number 12, he says, here's how I'm doing this. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Here's how you're going to do that. You're supposed to be a partaker. Paul says, I'm doing that. You're not supposed to be ashamed of Christ, and I'm not. And here's how it's taking place. According to the power of God, here's how it's taking place. Now, Let's just be honest here. Paul is what I call the king of the run-on sentence. In fact, we read from verse 8 to 12, and if the punctuation is accurate in this verse, there's only two sentences there in that whole thing. He is the king of run-on sentences. So let us break this down. My original title of this was Simple Sentences. Okay, We're going to break this thing down into simple sentences since these are mental steps that we actually have to take, Paul is telling us, these are the mental steps you're going to take here. We're going to take it and change what he said. We're going to rephrase it into simple sentences, but in question form. So here we go. Here's the mental processes that need to take place in your life in order to stand and be a partaker of the afflictions. Question number one. Have you believed? Paul says, I know whom I have believed. First question is, have you believed? Have you ever come to the point in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ? 
Saul was breathing out threatenings and cursings against the Lord's children. And on the road to Damascus, he is, sees a bright light. He is struck to the ground. And what does Saul say? Why persecutest thou me? Or the, he hears the Lord say, why persecutest thou me? And what is Paul's reaction, or Saul's reaction? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What did you just see in that moment? At that moment, he has changed from resisting the Lord to following the Lord. Paul is at that moment so changed that they have to change his name from Saul to Paul. Have you ever come to that point in your life? Your life had been one of sin and rebellion against God. And then you see Jesus Christ as the only answer to your sin. And at that moment, you changed your mind about him. You placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Have you believed? That's the first question. The second question, mental process you have to get to, to stand in this against and be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Number two, do you know whom you believed? Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Do you know who you believed? Do you know that knowing a person changes how you trust them? Knowing a person changes how you trust them. In shop class right now, we are dealing with some electronic stuff. And we're dealing with some really fine wire. And I have at home a tool. It is a hand tool. It's one of the most expensive hand tools that I own. It is a wire stripper for super fine wire. The shop class does not own one of these tools. So I bring mine in to use in the shop class. I keep that tool in my back pocket. Not because I think one of the shop guys will steal it. But I have been teaching shop for over 20 years now. And this is a precision tool. And I know that if I turn my back, it is very possible that one of them will use my precision tool to cut some heavy wire. I know them. Do you understand? And so I keep that tool in my back pocket, and when they need it, I hand it to them, and I watch them like a hog and warn them within an inch. Have you been warned within an inch of your life of my green tool? They're all, they have all been warned within an inch of their life. Because I know teenagers, and because I know them, it affects how I trust them. Does that make sense to you? This makes sense. Okay. I ship a lot of packages. Over the last three or four years, I have learned one thing about the United States Post Office. There is absolutely, positively nothing they can't break. I never, no matter how you package it, there is nothing that they can't break. I never write fragile on any of our boxes. Why? You write that, it's like putting a red flag in front of a bull. Those are the packages that get beat the worst. It's unbelievable. I know the post office. And if I had to ship something that absolutely, positively had to get there without breaking, I'm not sure I would ship it with them. I know them, and because I know them, it affects how I trust them. Does that make sense? I don't have a lot of money in any of my accounts, so this illustration isn't very good. 
But if I had a lot of money, would I take out a check? Who would I give a check, a blank check, that I've already signed on the line? Who would I give that to? Now, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people in this room at this moment that I would do that with. Why? I know you. And I know there's a lot of you in here who would not take one penny from me unintentionally. They would not, un, they would, I, they would be, that check would be as safe in your hands as it would be in mine. Because I know you and I would trust you on that. There's probably 100 or 200 people that would be in that category. There's 100 billion people on the planet or have lived on the planet and there's only 200 I would trust. Some people I don't know, so I wouldn't trust them. Some I do know, and I wouldn't trust them. <laughs> you understand how this works. What we know about someone, how we know someone, affects how we trust. You know what the Apostle Paul says? I know whom I've believed. I've believed, and I know him. When you first came to Christ, you know what? You didn't know the Lord at all. You came to Christ because there were no other options. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You didn't know anything about him, but your only hope was him. Is that all you know about the Lord now? After you've been in his family for so many years, is that all you know about him? That he saved you? By this time, if you've been in his saved for any length of time, you ought to be able to say, I know whom I believed. I know whom I've believed. It affects how I act. It affects all of my actions because I know him. This is what our, on Sunday night we've been going through this study of the attributes of God. The whole purpose of that is for you to know him so that your belief and your trust in him can deepen. I know whom I believe. Knowing someone changes how we trust him. Paul says, I know whom I've believed. Have you believed? Two, do you know whom you've believed? Number three question. Have you committed anything to him? Have you committed anything to him? Look at verse number 12 here again. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Have you committed anything to him? Okay, if you know Christ is your Savior, you've committed your soul to him. But is that all? Is that all that you have committed to Christ? If that is all that you've committed to Christ, all you've committed to him is your soul, my friend, you are missing out on the whole point here, and you are carrying a load far heavier than you were ever intended to carry. So what should you commit to the Lord's keeping beside your soul? What is it that you're supposed to commit to him? Paul says, I know I've com what I've committed unto him. I know he's able to keep that. What have you committed to the Lord? Well, this is not an exhaustive list, but it'll be a good start for you. Things that you ought to commit to the Lord. Letter A, under what should, have you committed anything to Christ? Your reputation. Have you committed your reputation to the Lord? I've learned one thing. I hope I've learned more than one thing, but one thing I have learned 
after 30 years of pastoring, a lot of Christians are more concerned about what people think about them than being right to begin with. They're more concerned about everybody's perception of them as opposed to actually being what the Lord intended them to be. They're so focused on, they're not focused on, Lord, let me be right, but make sure that the whole church thinks I'm right. This is a very, very common denominator amongst God's people. More concerned about what everybody thinks about them. It is ridiculous how many people put on a church face, is what I call it, to make sure that the church thinks well of them. My friend, in the last day, when we all stand before the Lord, do you realize I'm not going to be able to vouch for you? And do you realize you're not going to be able to vouch for me? And what you think of me or what I think of you at that moment is not going to matter at all. There's only going to be one opinion that matters at that moment. And that is going to be whether he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or not. So to put on a church face, to make sure that everybody, to be concerned about what everybody thinks about you, is the wrong thing. Don't concern yourself about what people think. Concern yourself with being what God wants you to be. Commit your reputation to the Lord. Now I use this story often because every time this comes up in my world, this story comes to mind and it's such a help to me. John Rice was in the midst of a difficulty an old-time preacher, if you don't know who that is, an old-time preacher, in the midst of a difficulty. And he went to the Lord and he said, Lord, you've got to stop these people. They are going to ruin my reputation. And he said, the Lord came back with me. Well, why don't you be like me who made himself of no reputation? My friend, that is where we all need to be. We commit what people think about us to the Lord. We commit our reputation to Him that He can take care of our reputation. Do right. Be what you ought to be and put the keeping of your reputation in the Lord's hands. Number two. You know what you ought to commit to the Lord? Your rights. You ought to commit your rights to the Lord. Another thing that Christians are always fighting for are their rights. It's like two kids who fight over who gets the biggest piece of cake. You got the bigger piece than I did. And here's the classic, the back seat of the car. Remember as a kid drawing the imaginary line? That's your half, that's my half. And then the, the, the mischievous little brother sticks his hand over the, he's on my side! How many remember doing that as a kid? Every kid in the whole world has done that, and every parent in the world wanted to reach around and, never mind, we don't, we're on live stream. We wanted to lovingly, um, <laughs> I'm not sure what we wanted to do <laughs> that could be mentioned on live stream. You know what that was like. They're on my side of the line. 
You're so particular about your own rights as a kid. Unfortunately, we grew up with the exact same problem. And we as God's people are always fighting to make sure that we get our rights. I didn't get treated fairly. I didn't get to do what I should have gotten to do. I didn't get credit for what I did. They took my spot. I don't deserve to have this happen to me. I wasn't allowed to do that. I was supposed to get. Don't I have any rights? My dear friends, let me help you here. Commit your rights to the Lord. He is the one who can keep track if you're being mistreated. He is watching when you are overlooked. He is able to make sure that you get what is needed in your life. Commit your rights to the Lord. I was talking to someone about this a few weeks ago in a very specific area of life. And they understood what I was saying, and they jumped on it with both feet. And about a week later, they told me, boy, that really works. The Lord is able to do when you commit your rights to Him. When we fight for our rights, we get nowhere. Then we commit being, to being what we should be. And we leave our rights with the Lord. He is able to do what is necessary. Have you committed your reputation to the Lord? Have you committed your rights to the Lord? Let me just run through a list here so as we rush on. Have you committed your well-being to the Lord? Have you committed your future to the Lord? Have you committed your happiness to the Lord? Have you committed your family to the Lord? I will never forget this day. The day that I committed my family to the Lord. The kids were just little. Only half of them were born at that point, I'm guessing. They were just little. And it's hard to even think about right now in these terms, but if you're a parent, you probably can, you've had these same thoughts, I'm guessing. The committing of your kids to the Lord, somehow that just seemed so dangerous, isn't that even ridiculous? That something, if you committed them to the Lord, that he was going to make them some kind of an example, you know, so there's bad things are going to happen to their life, and they wouldn't be under your protection, and, and, oh, and I was struggling so bad, it's almost embarrassing to admit, I was struggling so bad with that, of committing the kids totally to the Lord. And I can remember as plain as day, I looked down and I saw my hands. And the thought just washed over me. How stupid can you be? You're trying to protect your kids with these? That's all you've got. And I cannot tell you how fast I ran to the Lord when I realized how dangerous of a position I had my kids in. I'm trying to protect them with these. And I ran, and I mean I ran to the Lord and put them totally in His hands. Why? That's the only safe place. You really expect to protect your kids in this world from all the with your two hands? You commit them to the Lord, to His keeping. Have you committed anything but your soul to the Lord? What have you committed to Him? You have, have you believed 
Do you know whom you've believed? Have you committed anything to him? Number four, do you really believe he is returning? Do you really believe he is returning? For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Against that day is referring to the day of the Lord or the Lord's return, the reckoning day. If you ask the average Christian if they believe in the Lord's return, they will say yes. But it is really actually only a mental assent. The fact really has not sunk in most of the time. Take off, see if we can illustrate this. Consider how taxes are done in the United States. Jeffrey in Tennessee just got a new job. He's now considered self-employed. And so Heidi called me the other day trying to figure all this tax ramifications out. And she was asking me questions about how to get all of her ducks in a row on this. And so she asked me, how do they know those numbers that I give them are true? And I said, well, it's done on your honor. Unless you get audited. And then you have to be able to prove those numbers. Okay, now, we all understand how this works. The average American fills out their taxes. What they actually believe, they know that the double checking, the careful checking of all these numbers is possible. That's called an audit, right? They know that that's possible. But it's not probable. Most likely, the numbers are going to run through, and unless a red flag kicks out on the computer, you're not going to ever hear from that ever again. And so you're never going to actually have to prove the numbers that you wrote down. It's unlikely that you'll have to ever prove this in any, in any deep way. I think the average Christian somehow sees the day of reckoning that way. That somehow in this day of reckoning, we're not going to get the audit. It's just going to be this quick check and whatever was okay, it's okay. And we, that's how we perceive this. But my friends, that's not the way that this is. Believe me, I don't understand all of this, but Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. I don't understand all that. I'm telling you right now. All I know is this isn't just some quick check. This isn't just some Passover kind of a thing. Do you believe that the Lord is returning? Do you believe that the crooked will be made straight, that all men will answer for what they have done, that your life will be scrutinized by what you have done and by what has been done to you? Paul says, I know who I believed, and I know that he can keep that against the day. I know he's coming back, and all that, anything that's persecution that's been done to me, the Lord's keeping track of that. Everything that I do, everything that happens to me, I give him my rights. The Lord's keeping track of all that. If my reputation is ruined by somebody, the Lord's keeping track of all that. If my rights are invaded upon by somebody else, the Lord's keeping track of all that. There is a day of reckoning. I know that. Do you believe that? That all that you've committed to the Lord, there will be a day of reckoning for all of this? Do you believe that the Lord is returning? 
Have you believed? Do you know who you believed? Have you committed anything to him? Do you believe that the Lord is returning? And number five, are you persuaded that the Lord is able to properly keep things put in his care? Do you believe, are you persuaded in your mind that the Lord can keep track and take care of anything that you put in his hands? Are you persuaded that whatever you put in the Lord's hands, he can take care of and keep? I almost never carry cash. In my world, almost all the transactions that I make are electronic. And that's not a problem because they're all electronic, so you carry your credit card, you're good. Except for when we do some garage sailing. And if you've ever been garage sailing with us, I sometimes buy excessively. Not for myself. I don't know if I've bought anything for myself in the last 10 years. There's nothing that I want. But I buy to sell on eBay. So sometimes, well, Spencer's been with us a few times. <laughs> that was a shock to him. Uh, you don't end up having any floor space. Uh, there, you're sitting with stuff on your lap. Uh, the car is completely full. And the, that becomes a problem because I go to the bank and get cash when we're going to go out. But sometimes I buy more than what I have cash for. And that means we either have to go back to and find another ATM machine or... I look at the kids and say, you got any money on you? And Macy, if you're watching, I'm telling. All right. Macy got into this, I don't know what you'd even call this, idea that she did not want to loan me money. Now, that was a little irritating. I'll just have to tell you that. Because in her pocket is my credit card that she has been using all of the time. So she doesn't want to loan me 20 bucks that I'm going to pay her back. Well, she's got my credit card in her pocket. I kind of thought that was disingenuous. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> I'm feeding you. I'm clothing you. You're alive because of me. You may not be alive if you say that again. She's got my credit card and wouldn't trust me to, to loan me $20 till we got back to the bank. Now, I think that's pretty disingenuous myself. How many of us are like that with the Lord? I've been thinking about this day of reckoning. I've been thinking about standing there in front of the Lord. Are you persuaded that he is able to keep what you have given him safely? Do you honestly figure on standing in front of the Lord and saying, sorry, Lord, but I didn't believe you were capable of keeping my reputation. Sorry, Lord, but I didn't really know that you could protect my future. Sorry, Lord, but I just didn't know if you would be able to defend my rights. I'm telling you, in the day of judgment, that's going to sound pretty ridiculous, isn't it? What I want to do when I stand before the Lord is be able to say, I gave it all to you, Lord, and you did an amazing job with it. I can't even believe how well you did with what I gave you. I'm so thankful I gave you all that because I would have messed it up and 
I am so thankful that you took care of it because I am fully persuaded that you're able to, and you came through. That's the way I want to stand before the Lord. Now let's put this all together from start to finish. It's quite a bit to take in here. Let's, let's put all the pieces together. Paul says, You need to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. You receive all the benefits, but you need to be able to take your lumps, whatever those happen to be. You cannot do that on your own strength. It must be in the power of God. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm able to take my lumps, and here's how I'm able to do this. Paul says, I have believed. I know whom I've believed. I have committed everything to him. I know he's returning to make the crooked straight. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep everything that I put in his care. I know he can take care of this. So no matter what happens to me, it's in his hands. And so I don't have to worry about these things as they come, these afflictions that come. I don't have to worry about them because it's in his hands and I trust him. That's how I'm able to stand. I have committed my life to him in all areas. And so if this persecution comes and it takes my reputation, if this persecution comes and it's ridicule to me, if this persecution comes and it takes my life, Paul says, I'm persuaded that whatever I put into his hands is in good hands. He is able to do it. Therefore, he says, I'm able to take the afflictions of the gospel. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Are you a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God? In other words, are you taking your lumps?